Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. and welcome to Word Processing. My name is Andrew. I'm here joined with Josiah and we are going to be talking about, surprise, surprise, God's Word today because that's what we do on this podcast, right, Josiah? Surprise, surprise. It's a great opportunity to be together to talk about our sermon from last Sunday. So as always, if you have not listened to last Sunday's sermon, I highly recommend you take a moment on our website, oakridgebible.org, and uh, check that out. Today we're talking about some nice lighthearted verses in Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. We're coming towards the end. Just not, nothing controversial here at all. No, smooth sailing, I think. Well, why don't we just dive right in? I'm going to start with when you, you preached on Sunday, this passage is divided into, well, you divided at least into three sections. It's, it's how we relate to uh, other believers, how we relate to non-believers, and then how we relate to God. And then mm-hmm. the last couple of verses tie it all together. Um, so let's just start with those first ones, which are what I'm going to refer to as the judging verses. I'm wondering if you can run me through what it might practically look like for another believer or myself to engage with proper biblical judgmentalism, to use a harsh word, but to judge someone while not ignoring the log in my own eye, but being aware of my own log, but also helping another believer with their spec. How do we encourage one another? How do we avoid hypocrisy? All the things you talked about on Sunday, what might this practically look like? So again, to give some backstory to your question, we talked on Sunday about how this verse, this command to judge not that we will not be judged or we will be judged by that standard is an in-house conversation. We're talking Mm -hmm. about believers judging other believers or not judging in a specific way that the Lord outlines here. But we mentioned, and it's clear in this text, that we are to judge in a certain way. We are to discern, we are to identify specs or sin in the eyes, in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't condemn for it, but we are to identify them, the sin, and we are then, in verse 5, it says, to help them get it out so long as we are dealing with the sin in our own lives, the logs in our own eyes. And so it really is a rebuke of hypocrisy within the relationships within the church, within the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. is what we're talking about, or within the the family of God, whereas um, obviously Matthew 7 was before the church was established, but it's still the people of God. So how does this work? So I see... Let's take it to our day and age today, which is what your question was. How do I go about identifying and helping a brother or sister deal with a speck in their own eye? And that's what you're Mm -hmm. asking, I think. Well, let me give a couple examples from my own life where this has been done to and for me. I think that might help a little bit put some meat on the bone of this skeleton. Well, I think that's a great place to start because if we're doing this right as the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. then as we do it with others, we are also leaving opportunity for them to do it with us as well. It's it's mutual accountability. That's right. Yeah. And this is, again, in the, the context of this discourse on the Mount, or this Sermon on the Mount, whatever you want to call it, we're talking about this standard of righteousness that we will not achieve until glory, until the kingdom comes, but we are to strive to live in and exemplify now as the kingdom ethic that Jesus is giving us. And so part of that is humility. And so when a brother or sister in Christ comes and says, hey, I see a speck of sin in your eye, let's deal with that. As someone who's also pursuing righteousness, I should, by the power of the Spirit, be able to hear that humbly and hear it as the act of love it is to you know, propel me toward Christ-likeness, and I should be able to respond in kind. But, I mean, we live in a broken mm-hmm. world. That's not always the case, and sometimes it's not identified or handled well on either end. But So in my life, I'll give you a couple of examples. I remember one time 
when I was early in my training for ministry days, uh, I was serving at a church, and the pastor of that church was overseeing my development, I guess, and my growth and my internship at this church. He had heard that while I was out on a social event with the group of uh, believers that I was supposed to be overseeing and ministering, uh, I had said some things that were not necessarily sinful, but they weren't wise. Hmm. They weren't wise. And I've shared on the podcast before, and I think in the pulpit, that my struggle has been in the past a quick tongue. Mm -hmm. And so this didn't surprise me when he took me out for coffee and just said, hey, we need to talk. I heard that this was said, and you just need to understand that not only is that, you know, in the gray area for a Christian in general, what you said, but as a leader or an aspiring leader in the church, you need to be very cautious with how you talk. Mm. And again, that stung at the time. I respected this brother and, and, and looked up to him in many ways and still do. I didn't eradicate that. But I look back on now and just say that was such a gift from the Lord that in relative anonymity, I was called out on something that could be very, very serious mm -hmm. if it was left unattended. And so this was him seeing a speck in my eye and his own pursuit of righteousness allowed him the courage to bring it up in a very tactful way, in a loving way. I could tell he cared about not only me as a as a brother in Christ, but also as a future minister of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's what was at stake. And so that was just an example of someone seeing a speck and lovingly calling me. And I know, and I knew then, that this was someone who also was pursuing Christ-likeness. And so he was dealing with logs in his own eye. I had no doubt about that. And so I heard it, um, I think, as well as I could have by mm -hmm. God's grace. Another example would be, you know, my wife has done this more times than I can count. Um, but one time in particular... I remember her just pointing out that I had a tendency to exaggerate when I was speaking. And she said that that's a form of dishonesty. Hmm. It's lying. Yeah. You know, and at the time, again, I was defensive probably, but she was so right. I mean, that is a very subtle, uh, if not sin itself, a gateway to more sin. And so those are just two quick examples uh, of people who I know loved me loved the Lord, were pursuing Christ-likeness in their own lives, but seeing a speck in my eye. And because of their own pursuit of righteousness, they were able to have the courage to bring that up to me and, and to do it lovingly. And those are the types of things I look back. Those are, those are godly, judgmental moments when they have watched me and said, you profess this, your life shows a inconsistency mm -hmm. with what you aspire to, so let's move together toward what we both aspire to and and that's just loving and now like to all of us you know the, the specs that we see in people's eyes it could be anything mm -hmm. it could be the things that perhaps i was called out on uh, dishonesty or exaggeration or or possible licentiousness we see in a brother or sister in christ hey help me understand like I, i'm seeing some dangerous signs here um treatment of spouse and kids or other people that you just see in social settings you worry about this brother or sister in christ and just how they lash out with their tongue or how they do this that and the other thing uh time management as a stewardship issue you see concerning areas in someone's life whatever the case may be now we have to discern as well are we dealing with sin in a brother mm -hmm. or sister in christ or are we dealing with just unwise practices those sure. two things aren't always the same but i think in both cases do we have a voice in someone's life to mm -hmm. bring it up and to to question them about it. And I guess it comes down to motives as well and, and, and how we bring it up. Yeah, and I think as I hear you speak, I think of also just the flip side and how probably the bigger challenge for most of us is to be, you know, how we deal with the receiving end of that, how we deal with the defensiveness and not immediately jumping to, 
oh, you're going to point out my sin? Let me think of all the ways that you're flawed. Let me think of how dare you bring this before yeah. me when I know yeah. what you've done. Sure. And um, and just on the flip side, too, you know, if feeling that, you know, discerning presence of the Spirit leading you towards calling someone out on something or bringing it forward, as you said, that, that pastor brought you aside privately and dealt with the issue with grace and with love, you know, I think it's all of this is, is about, as you said, hypocrisy and not being necessarily, I don't know, confrontation is a bad word, but not being aggressive, but realizing that this is a family issue. And mm-hmm. and we think ahead to the verse that's going to come up of, you know, treating others the way we want to be treated, that kind of idea. And, you know, how would we want the sin called out in our life and being aware that we need to do the same with others if we're going to be dealing with their specs and our own logs and vice versa. And I think, as I said already, in both cases that I mentioned, how it was handled on their end demonstrated a certain maturity and a certain amount of God's kindness at work in them to bring it up in the way that they did. How I react to it at the moment, I mean, that's a whole other issue uh, that's on, on my end. You know, There can be a defensiveness, like you mentioned. And honestly, if you're thinking of a time right now, you're listening to this and thinking of a time that someone did bring up a sin and you responded as you think back now, not in the best way possible, it's never too late to now that you're more mature and now that you the word of the Lord has done its work in your life and you see that that wasn't the best reaction to go back to that person and just say, hey, remember that time that you called me out on sin? I don't think I responded the greatest mm-hmm. way. Let me just say thank you now. Mm-hmm. Let me say thank you because I can see what you were doing, even if they didn't do it in the best way, even if you think I would have probably done it different. You don't question their intention. Their intention was to bring you toward or encourage you toward Christian maturity. And that should be applauded and thanked. Mm -hmm. Because that's a hard thing to step out and call someone out. Yeah. Or it can be. (laughs) It can be. And I should say. To do so well, I would say. For sure. It's hard to do it in a way that is gracious and loving and caring and encouraging rather than demeaning or, uh, you know, discouraging and. Yeah, and I say call someone out. That sounds really abrasive. It doesn't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. It can very much be. In fact, I'm thinking back to the several times it's happened to me. People just saying, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just mm-hmm. seeing something. I'm not infallible. I'm not all-knowing. Yeah. But I just see some patterns that have concerned me. Uh, help me understand. Maybe there's a logical explanation for this. Maybe you have thought through this and give them the benefit of the doubt. But give them a chance to defend themselves, I guess, in their actions. Um, so there's a tone that's taken when this mm-hmm. this happens among brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes it requires a more harsh rebuke, sure. but to, to read the room, so to speak, yeah. and to respond appropriately in that way. I also want to guard against the other extreme. We don't want to be a people who all we do is you know, look for specs. Yeah. Maybe you think that your spiritual gift is spec <laughs> inspection, You know, where all you do is just see that what's wrong. And I think the text itself buffers against that. It says, don't go around just looking for the specks in brother's sister's eyes, but actually look for uh, the log first and then the speck in other people's eyes. It's interesting too, the more you grow in maturity with the Lord and the more you understand all the logs in your own eye, uh, the more, one, you're gracious with other people's imperfections, mm-hmm. uh, but you also see more of them yeah. because you're more aware of them in your own life as well. Absolutely. Well, let's take a shift of tone then and move on to the next single verse, talking about engaging with non-believers. There's a couple of verses that immediately came to mind when I think about this topic. Uh, one of them is 1 Peter 2, 12, which I think we talked about either last week or a couple weeks ago. Uh, it says this, Keep your behavior, ec- behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may 
because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So really this idea of keeping an eye on our conduct in the eyes of non-believers so that they have no means of slandering us because all they see is good deeds and the good things we're doing. And what's interesting there is that the Apostle Peter, he's almost calling for a consistency between our testimony as believers and when unbelievers come close, they see there's a consistency there. Sure. Which, by the way, going back to the passage in Matthew 7 about judging one another, we help one another be consistent mm. and do what Peter has called us to do in that in that epistle. Almost like it's all connected. Almost like it's all connected. <laughs> the second one I thought of is uh, from 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13. Uh, Paul says this, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, uh, believer, if he is an immoral person or a covetous uh, or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside, God judges. Any thoughts on that t- uh, verse with how it connects with our topic? Yeah, I mean, it's directly connected, very clearly. The verse in Matthew chapter 7 that you're talking about is this, again, famous text where Jesus is saying, don't cast holy pearls before swine and dogs who instinctively will not treat them as the beautiful pearls that they are, Mm -hmm. but will trample them. It may even attack you. The idea here is that non-believers, those who are unregenerate, not born again, like Paul was talking about in uh, 1 Corinthians and like Peter was talking about in, in 1 Peter, they don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. The righteousness that Jesus is presenting in this discourse, this Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to his disciples primarily about the righteousness as the people of God we are to pursue, this kingdom ethic we are to strive toward, knowing that we won't actually experience it until the kingdom actually comes. But this standard of righteousness is not available to people who don't have the Spirit of God, Mm -hmm. who don't have an allegiance to the God who gave the law, who dictates this righteousness. And so to demand that unbelievers, those who do not hold God as their final authority, live up to his standard is just folly. Hmm. We can give them these beautiful pearls, which is what the law is. We as believers hold that they are beautiful, they are precious, as the psalmist often says. They are they are uh, wonderful, like dripping from a honeycomb, right? They're sweet to us. Not to the world, but they need the gospel. They need to be born again. They need to come inside the family of God. And then we can work on that first five verses of Matthew 7, which is the conformity and helping one another conform ourselves to the image of God by God's power. Um, So that's just a warning against how we understand our interactions with the world outside the family. Just kind of a related topic. Maybe this is just a personal issue. Maybe no one else is struggling with this. But somewhere that I've been struggling with recently is unbelievers who seem to think they understand Christianity better than the Christians do. You know, unbelievers posting on social media about, you know, churches should look like this, or if Christians did their job right, or if Christians really followed Jesus X. Maybe it's complete unbelievers, no connection to the church. Sometimes it's people who have maybe spent some time in church. How do we engage with people like that? Or do we engage with people like that? Maybe not related to this topic and too too far of a sidebar. I think it is related. I personally don't see the benefit of engaging in that. 
Again, as we talked about before, we live in an age where the therapeutic has triumphed. We also live in a day and age where there has been the death of expertise. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So where experts are put on the same level as everyone who has a social media account, yeah. by and large. So someone posting or saying or, or showing off their expertise, quote unquote, on any number of topics has as much airtime and is just as quote unquote published as someone who writes for scholarly journals and, and honestly probably has more of an audience yeah. than someone who's actually an expert who spent the time studying sure. in those fields. So again, people that are masquerading as experts, like they have something to say, I just don't honestly see the point of engaging that to mm-hmm. be honest, especially in the faceless world of social media. I personally, and you know me well enough to know this, I don't get the appeal. Mm-hmm. I don't see many upsides to the social media ecosystem. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's maybe a topic for another day. I just, uh, I think that the church and evangelism and apologetics happens face to face. That is how God designed the church, that we would gather face to face. We would worship God side by side. We would disciple one another face to face. We would uh, rebuke one another face to face. We would strengthen one another face to face. We would then go out into the world and face to face go into our workplaces, our classrooms where people don't know the Lord and face to face show them mm-hmm. what God's word says, what God's people look like and give them the gospel face to face. I'm not saying that the internet has not been a positive effect for Christianity. I don't I want to be, that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> I'm just saying... Too often we jettison the actual way that the gospel goes out, which is primarily face-to-face. Because let's face it, it's easier to do it when it's faceless. It's easier to do it behind a keyboard. It's easier to share the gospel oftentimes to nameless, faceless people out there to the masses than it is sitting down with someone eyeball to eyeball and saying, you're a sinner Mm -hmm. and you need reconciliation to a holy God. And that only comes through the person work of Jesus Christ. You need to believe in him. That is way harder. And so, you know, someone, again, back to your original question, I, these rabbit trails, I'm sorry. but <laughs> It's my fault. I know exactly what I'm doing when I bring them up, but it's just where my mind goes. <laughs> no, that's, it's good. If your mind is going there, then other people's minds are going there as well, I'm sure. I, I just, in those online forum type of discussion things, I would be very cautious about engaging, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That's just, most of the time, they are not experts. Mm-hmm. They don't understand uh, the Bible. These things are spiritually discerned, as Paul says, and we mentioned on Sunday. Again, come back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Oftentimes, if they are unbelievers, throwing the word back at believers. Now, again, honestly, if they throw the word back at me, is there anything true to what they're putting before me? There might be. The Lord might be using them to rebuke me. But they're also throwing pearls at me, pearls that they don't know what to do with. And so I just want to be discerning in that way. And I think that's where we landed on Sunday as well, was to declare with discernment. Be discerning about this. Don't be quick to uh, get into these battles with with people who are outside the family of God. Well, and ultimately you came back to this idea that what they need from us is not for us to explain the intricacies of theology, but they need Jesus Christ. They need salvation. And so we need to pray for that. If we don't know them or if we do know them, we need to engage with them face-to-face when we can and, and, and pray for that more than anything. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, the final thing I want to talk about, Josiah, is the last uh, topic that we talked about on Sunday, uh, which is the idea of prayer. And I think mm-hmm. this one will maybe be a bit more brief. But you talked about or you mentioned the idea that we can learn things about ourselves by looking at our prayer life. How do we engage in prayer? How often? The ways that we do it, what we think about prayer. And so I guess my question for us is, you know, wanting to keep this podcast practical and, and help us grow through it. How do we grow from what we've learned? What do we do with what we've learned about ourselves? If I sit down and say, you know, take an honest look at my prayer life and learn some things about myself from that, what do I do about it? How can I change my my habits of prayer or change my prayer lifestyle? Yeah, I'll get personal for a second again. Mm-hmm. I know from experience that my spiritual disciplines, for lack of a better word, and maybe even specifically my prayer life as a spiritual discipline, they are oftentimes a spiritual thermometer for me. How is my heart doing? I look at my disciplines. When my disciplines get difficult or sporadic or constantly joyless or fill in the blank, that usually alerts me to something that's going on in my life, Hmm. whether there's unrepentant sin I need to deal with or there's this fatigue that's in my life and I'm getting worn down, which by the way, typically for me points to another sin, which is just pride. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to do all of these things because I don't trust the Lord to take care of them. I'm so important. God, look at all I'm doing (laughs) for you. Again, that usually leads to fatigue and exhaustion, which again uh, leads to the decline in my spiritual disciplines, which are my conduit to the Lord. That's how Mm -hmm. I interact with him. And so to take one of those, again, the prayer life specifically, I just know that because I know my propensity for that to fade quickly because there's no visible accountability to a prayer life, right? My devotions, I can see I've moved through, you know, Matthew's gospel in my devotions. I can see the bookmark has moved. Yeah. I, I all of the, It's visible. It's tangible. Yeah. Prayer life, I mean, it's just me and the Lord. So who's going to know mm-hmm. if, I, if I skip out on a day of prayer, right? Except for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so prayer is, is very is one of the spiritual disciplines that perhaps most alerts me at times. And so what does it teach me? Well, I said on Sunday, you know, if I'm if I'm praying sporadically, it's telling me something about my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I what do I think about God? What do I think about the power of prayer? What do I think about myself and the role of God's work in this world? And I mean, how do we correct that when I'm alerted to it? I think was your question. How when mm-hmm. I see that my prayer life is telling me something that I think about God or about myself or about his work or about the power of prayer that needs to be corrected that I know is not true, what do I do? I think I, I just return to those regular means of grace, for lack of a better word. Mm. Christianity is not about seeking something novel to jumpstart our Christian life. It's about returning to that which was given to us, which is ancient from the Lord. And so I go back to church attendance. Am I fellowshipping with believers? Crucial. Am I confessing to the Lord sins in my life? Is there, am I t- keeping short accounts with the Lord? Maybe mm-hmm. some sin is built up that needs to be confessed and dealt with. A spiritual friendship. Have I isolated myself from? And when I say spiritual friendship, I don't mean you know you and I go into the driving range and just hanging out or whatever. I know you're really into that. <laughs> Um, I don't know why I just chose that example, but you know, spiritual friendship. I mean, we're talking about things of significance. Uh, you know, what is the Lord doing in your life, and, and rejoicing over the su- successes and and mourning over the losses? Um, do I have spiritual friendship? Is that lacking? Mm-hmm. Um, my word in- intake, obviously. Like, mm-hmm. am I in the word rest? Again, am I resting, or am I going a million miles an hour because 
again, it comes back to the, the sin is pride behind that. Mm-hmm. The Lord needs me. I got to just keep going, keep going, pedal to the metal, because yep. if I don't show up, the whole thing's going to fall apart and the Lord's not going to uh, be pleased. I just need to caution myself against that, that pridefulness, that do it yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. That can be so sinful. And so I just return to those things that are ancient, those, those things the Lord has given us to draw close to himself. And I want to make sure I'm doing that. So if I feel and my prayer life has alerted myself to maybe some, some coldness or some stagnant kind of uh, realities in my life, I'm going to check those, those main conduits to the Lord, those main connection points. Are there any loose connections there that I need to just return to and, and, make, and prayerfully um, get them off the ground again? Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think that really ties back into really all of these topics, you know, all of the things that you left us with, with application, exhort with humility, declare with discernment, pray with persistence, model the message. All of this assumes, as you rightly said on Sunday, that we are actively pursuing righteousness. And I think what you're just describing just right now is, you know, evaluate my life. Am I pursuing righteousness? Am I actually engaging with that process, mm-hmm. inviting God's spirit to grow me and shape me in, you know, my in his word? Am I actually doing what all of these things require? So I think that's really helpful. Yeah. And I love what you said there about these are ways that we pursue righteousness, righteousness by taking up these, these divine callings, but they are also through them, but they are also evidence of growing mm-hmm. righteousness in our lives. So it's both. And, you know, I can exhort a brother in Christ, like I've been exhorted, like I shared, by someone who has been pursuing righteousness. And it's obvious because of how they handled me in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. But also that very act for him, that pastor, and for Patricia as well, my wife, that was a pursuit of righteousness all at the same time. And so they go back and forth. It's simultaneously both things, both the pursuit of righteousness and the fuel for the pursuit of righteousness at the same time. We just need to remember that Jesus here in this discourse, this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is presenting a kingdom ethic. Mm -hmm. This is what life will be like in the kingdom. When the kingdom comes, Jesus sits on his throne in Jerusalem on earth. This is what the kingdom inhabitants will look like. This is how we will operate. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, strive for this ethic. Uh, Strive for this ethic for the good of the body, for the good of ourselves, for the good of our family, for the good of the world, to be honest. And we pursue righteousness by the means that he lays out for us here. Hmm. Well, thanks for the chat. As always, Josiah, uh, listener, I hope you either learned something new or were challenged by that or encouraged by that. Um, as always, don't be afraid to get in touch with Josiah or myself. You can email us or call us. We'd love to chat with you um, about these topics more. And uh, until next week, uh, God bless you and keep you and uh, have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.